0: You're listening to the Mind Your Autistic Brain podcast, the show for late-identified autistics. Each week, you will hear the autism journey of another late-identified person, including their hardest part, their best part, and insights they share just for you. So you know you are not alone on this journey, my friend. Find your person and community here each week. And don't miss the special editions of Creator Spotlight and Hot Topic with your hostess with the mostest, social Audi. That's me, Carol Jean. Let's get started.
1: Hi, my name is Bruce Petherick, and I'm an autistic composer and musician. Welcome to my studio. On Friday, October 9, 2020, the first single of my upcoming album will be released. The single is called Embracing the Dark, and the album is called Dancing with Darkness. Embracing the dark is such a good contrast to the rest of the album, as it's about the reconciliation of all the feelings around the darkness of mental health. It is, perhaps not uplifting, but an honest statement of the balance between the light and the dark of our lives. Balance. Like all my music, this piece is based on the piano. The piano is my fundamental voice, the fundamental way I show my emotions, the fundamental way I communicate with the world. Although the main sound of Embracing the Dark is an acoustic piano, I also love the sound of electronics and synthesizers. In the single version, I've added some manipulation of the piano sound to give it a more contemporary feel. Of course, I've also added some subtle rainfall to the background as well. The version of Embracing the Dark on the album will just be the acoustic piano, so you can contrast the differences.
0: Welcome to Creator Spotlight. My special guest today is composer and musician Bruce Patrick. Welcome to the show, Bruce. We're so glad to have you here. I am really excited about this.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: That gorgeous introduction is talking about the album that you just released at the end of 2020. And it is so beautiful and it speaks so wonderfully to our experience of that constant searching for balance within the light and the dark of ourselves and our emotion. And I love how you speak to that, Bruce.
1: Thank you. I'm blushing already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bruce is one of the amazing friends that I met on Instagram. And this has just been an incredible connection for me. And he has just been such a delight to visit with. Bruce, I am really excited for you to share your autism journey, your story, and how music and composition has played into your life. So, how did? How old were you? Tell us and share with us your autism story.
1: Well, um, like a lot of people, um, I was late diagnosed. Um, I was diagnosed. Actually, my diagnosis is just over here. It says it was like four years ago. Um, I was in my early fifties, um, and I loved getting. The diagnosis because it allowed me to look at my life with an autistic prism and a whole bunch of things like, i'm not gonna say 100 but almost everything in my life suddenly there were, there were things become made more sense um some of the struggles i had um some of the benefits uh, relationships like a, a whole bunch of things just came into to, to focus um, from the, the discovery of, of being autistic. Um, and, and I have, since that time, I've very much embraced the concept of neurodiversity, um, encouraging people to, to be open about their neurodiversity and, and trying to challenge the rest of the world to accept neurodiversity um, as a, a good thing. Yeah.
0: How did your diagnosis and seeing your life through this whole new lens, how did that impact or did it impact or change the way music had played such a a singular and central part of your life? Did it shift after that in any way?
1: Good question. No. Um, But that's one of the things about the, 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 the prism. Um, is that when I when I was going through the the, the the discovery process, I realized that I had I had organized my entire working life to handle my differences, um, and the majority of that is working in music and being able to be in control of how i work how i interact with people um so there's that work aspect of kind of the more formal aspect of of, of music practice but um music came to to very naturally very very naturally and i realize it is such a you can't separate i've said this before you can't separate the bruce from the music from the autism they are all one thing Um, And so from the, from the discovery perspective, music, my music hasn't particularly changed, I don't think. Um, But I think the way I'm framing it to the world maybe has changed.
0: Oh, I, I, yes, it absolutely does. And I love, I love that that's how you word it because that it's worded so eloquently that it, it makes sense. And I think that we have such a, a tremendous um musical talent in our community um, especially mind your autistic brain i mean every day i'm meeting more and more musicians and people who are so incredibly in entrenched in music in our lives you know be it from an appreciation standpoint to a performance standpoint and i know for me that you know i loved how you said you know you can't separate Bruce from the music and autism, it's it's all one. And I completely agree with you. Um, I started playing piano when I was five. And it has always been this very central part of who I am. And I wouldn't say that I would separate music from myself or myself from my autism. It is one encompassing yeah. existence, right? Yeah. Um, but I love that you're your perspective in how you are presenting your music to the world has altered in such a way because just the title of your album that you most recently released, would you mind sharing some of the, the background to that and sort of your intention with the music in
1: this? This one's um, naming a piece of music is one of the, in fact, I, th- I think it's possibly the most difficult thing that I I, I, I have. Um, I have been composing since I started learning about music when I was like 14, 15. Um, and when I was really young, the pieces were like, you know, song for my cats. And I, I wrote a love song for a, a, a young woman, I high school romance, grade nine or grade 10. Um, it, it was the words, I love Carol, but I, re- I reversed it. So it was Lorach Volley. And just silly little naming naming things like that. And it, it's been a, um, even as a composition teacher, I encourage my students to really think about what the title means, because it's important, but I'm hopeless at it, really hopeless. But this album was kind of easy in, in one respect. Um, the album's called Dancing with Darkness, and it is, it all comes from a piece that I wrote from a very good friend of mine, Kiki, who I did a, a shirt with a couple of years ago, um, Kiki Kiki has an interesting mental health journey. Um, she is um, lives with several different differences, um, some that cause um, her great struggles in in, in public, um, and she runs an Instagram account called Dancing with Darkness. Um, and talks it, it, it discusses her um, journey. Um, and for up here in Canada, we in Bell Canada, so I don't know if it's connected to Bell u s anymore, but um they have a what's called Let's Talk day, which is January. It's January 28th twenty eighth and 26th. and it's it, it, Bell Canada basically donates money to mental health, encourages people to talk about mental health. So last last year, twenty twenty, I wrote a piece for Kiki called "Dancing with Darkness," um, and then got her permission to use the title because it's you know it's her Instagram account. Um, so that's where the title track comes from. And then during the COVID. I started to write pieces that talked about my, my struggles going through the period. Um, at the start of last year, when COVID started, a lot of my work wasn't really affected. Um, uh, I was I was working at a church and rather than just going to the church, we did it all online and I was teaching choir and rather than teaching at school, I started teaching online. And, uh you know etc 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 but I started to realize there were a whole bunch of things that I was struggling with I'm just getting my um my phone to make sure I get all my titles correct um and so I started to write some of these pieces and the titles are honest about what I was going through um this is really terrible, me not knowing the, the title tracks and the titles from my own music. But so there was a lot of um, the kind of meditations. So um, on being present was about I'm present always in the music, but so often I couldn't find that presence in, in my social life, especially during the during pandemic. And on being grateful, I'm terrible at being grateful. Not because I don't, I think this is an autistic thing. I think this is a really, it's a real uh, autistic trait is that when people compliment us, we don't take fair gratitude. We think, how how, how do we feel about, how do we feel about what's going on? So if I do something, play a piece of music and somebody says, that was beautiful sometimes i go no it's terrible because i i know i made a mistake ignoring their gratitude so that meditation was being and, and, and being grateful and being truthful to yourself again so often and especially during COVID, i would not allow myself to be sad i would not allow myself to be lonely i would not allow myself um I wasn't being truthful to myself at all, and so some of the titles in, in, in the um, in the in the album are very self-reflective, um, and maybe a little questioning until you get to the end, which is the embracing the darkness. And that's the that's the best thing about the whole. I think the best thing about the whole album for me was going through these struggles going through the darkness and then at the end going, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I am okay with the darkness. I'm okay with how I am. Sometimes it's fantastic. Sometimes it's not, but that's okay. Um,
0: <laughs> gosh, that is just, oh, you just spoke to my heart so deeply. You really did. And I know that you just probably connected with, everyone who is listening and watching that is such a, a very human experience that so many of us have, ex- have gone through and especially as autistics because we do tend to try and downplay others' acknowledgement and gratitude and we tend to be those perfection seekers Mm -hmm. (laughs) that can that can in in itself be quite a, a challenge and a struggle to just that was one of the things in the last few years I've just embraced sort of embracing the darkness was I learned to embrace the messy and the imperfection and that has been I think one of the things about your music that's really connected with me Bruce is that it does take you on this journey And it's not just a journey sort of following along with you, but it's also this very inward and very personal journey of where we begin in our late identification sometimes and then and just in life and how we move through these different stages of awareness. And in all things, finding and embracing the darkness at the end, it's just... Being able to stand in the knowledge that we have both and in that finding that balance in both, you can't have one without the other. You can't have light without dark. You don't have, it's not light. Is Dark isn't the absence of light necessarily. It is, it is its own existence and balance to what the light is. And I think your music just moves so beautifully through that. One of the things you mentioned to me when we spoke before was that you do these meditation segments that you release. How is it that you moved into music that is meditative? And what was that a personal journey that brought you there? Was it through your meeting your friend Kiki that sort of brought you into the meditation aspect of it? What, what culminated all of these beautiful... Ideas and practices together in your music.
1: What a lovely question. Um, th- th- there's a co- there's a complex answer to this, but, but I, I think I hope it's it's illuminating. Um, one of the artistic struggles any composer, any performer has is how do you make how do you create your space how do you create your sound world um or, or if you're a visual artist how do you how do you create your visual or if you're a, um an author how do you create the language um and when i was younger going through these artistic struggles that everybody does has i started to realize that it's a very postmodern perspective um it's the death of the author i don't I don't want to tell people what I'm feeling when I'm recording a piece of music. Not, not because I don't think it's important, because I think, something, I mean, a lot of people, um, the, the stories are important. Or either a lot of people like to hear, how is it created? Why is it created? But from the artistic background at the core of it, I may be thinking about walking through the mountains, running a piece of music, but if a listener hears Underwater sounds, or hears cosmic harmony, or hears somebody walking down the street in New York. That's fantastic. That's great. What the listener gets from the music is much more important than, than what I was thinking about internally. And so, I've come up with a night with a concept called an acoustic space. And so, the works that I create, I call it an acoustic space. So it's acoustic in the world. It's a sound world. So it's a space with sound. But it's for the listener to, to walk into, to be surrounded and take whatever they want. And certainly one of the things I, I, I'm playing with is intimacy all the time. Um, a lot of the sounds that I use, I want to hear, I want people to hear what it sounds like to play a piano, to touch it, to, to because what I hear when I'm playing, unless you're sitting right next to me, you can't hear what I'm hearing. Um, So the acoustic space and using intimate sounds when in the recording process is to drag people in but i don't have a plan for them i want the the listener to come in and go and do whatever you want and and if that means you're going to be um doing the the housework or you're completely concentrating on it doesn't matter to me it doesn't matter you just come into the world here's here's a space for you use it and I think then um, people started to hire me, and this is maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, to create music for guided meditations. Um, And it was like, okay, I mean, it's, I wasn't really into meditation at the time, but it was like, okay, I get get this and I understand the, the process. But as I've gone through a much more, a change of spiritual direction, I'm very much into Zen Buddhism now. And uh, with sitting Zazen, it's an important practice for me. And that is just, that is just sitting in meditation. Um, and I suddenly realized I could, I, the music that I'm doing can be used for meditation in a whole bunch of different ways or to be encouraged for me to use meditation in a couple of different ways. But again, it's in a space for the listener to use however they want. So that's it's a complex complex answer, but it's a good answer, I hope. I me, don't anyway.
0: find it to be complex. I find it to be incredibly relatable and accurate in so many ways that I think so many people just on the other side who are creators, who are artists, were cheering <laughs> with what you just said, because I know I was. Um And I think it's such a beautiful thing because, you know, when I was in art school and my undergraduate degrees in fine art, you know, all my professors, when we were creating museum shows and, you know, curating these themed shows, you know, and you're just like shoved into this box and here's your theme and you got to work with it. And it's just, you know, ugh. Because I approached things from a sculptural standpoint, from a painting standpoint of, how can I emote something from the viewer that is specifically theirs? I don't want it to be imparted from something that I construct specifically yeah. for them to experience, but for them to be able to find something within themselves that connects with the work and emotes something or a feeling or a thought that is uniquely theirs and it, the experience between the art and the viewer and how they perceive it was very, I wanted it to be very unique. Um, I had the great privilege of meeting a Buddhist monk when I was, um, between my senior and freshman year of college. And he introduced me to the teachings of Krishnamurti. I don't know if you're familiar. And it very much is sitting in silent meditation and allowing thoughts to come in, observing them not passing judgment (laughs) and then letting them go and when you were speaking about your music and creating the space it was sort of I that was sort of how I was seeing it and, and sort of connecting all of it in the sense that you know your music is written from a personal standpoint of this is what I was thinking about but here's this open vessel of interpretation for you to find your experience with the music. And I think that's so beautiful because you just, because music is vibrational, you know, for me is when I play music, I love the feel of it, the vibration of it, the the keys under my fingers, the strings as I'm touching them, you know, even the, the strings on the piano, I feel them vibrate through my body. And that resonates in a way that that nothing else does that connects me to myself. And I love that you create that space for the
1: listener. That that sense of vibration, um, um, I don't know if people are aware of the One of the greatest classical percussionists of all time is a woman from Scotland, Dame Evelyn Glennie. Dame Evelyn is profoundly deaf and has been all her life. So People have always sort of, when I've mentioned her, it's like, how do you become a percussionist when you're completely deaf? Like, you know. And the point is that she she feels the vibrations, and and it all starts. And she performs in bare feet, so so her feet are on the stage, and as she's playing a, a marimba or a snare drum or something, she's feeling the vibrations not only like in her body, like upper body, but also through her feet, and she dances and she's just like Bruce. Um, and it's, and it's, it's just like me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I play barefoot
1: um, <laughs> for actually, that purpose. I'm, I'm barefoot right now. I, I, I'm only put, um, when I do my, my live streams, um, I'll either barefoot or if it's chilly, cause you know, I live in Canada and it's very cold. Um, I'll have some moccasins on, but yeah, I prefer to be playing, playing barefoot. Um, okay.
0: Oh, I just want to that. say something about
1: the um, w- when you're talking about the the curation. The other one of the other interests I have is French is contemporary French philosophy. Uh, I mentioned postmodernism, and I, when I was doing my PhD, I was working on Michel Foucault's archaeology uh, as it relates to orchestration. <laughs> There's only three people in the world that understand what I just said. Then, um, but that's it's interesting. Oh, how, I'm
0: so fascinated. <laughs>
1: It's interesting really? how I take the ideas of of Jacques Derrida um, and um, Gilles Deleuze, and I've I've internalized them. and, and Deleuze talks about framing all the time. Um, a very specific. A lot of a lot of uh, curators actually around the world are, are, um, use Deleuze Deleuzean concepts um, when they talk about another way how they present their their curation. Um, but I'm I'm thinking about that as well. Uh, the, the concept of the frame, again, that's the acoustic space. Normally, a piece of music is presented in a, in a score, in a box, in a CD, where I'm saying, here's the CD or here's the listening, but you have to think about the room. I'm going backwards. The room and, and where, what's happening in the room that's happening. What, is, there, is there sunlight streaming through, the, through your window? That's all part of the, that's all part of the music. It's all part of the compositional aspect of the music, and so we're always pushing that going through the frame, or or just trying to get rid of the frame, or sometimes really boxing the frame in and then exploiting it. Yeah, oh this my is all gosh, about I knew I way.
0: loved you. I knew I absolutely loved and adored you. <laughs> Because this, this is why I wanted to have a conversation with you about music so desperately. <laughs> oh my gosh, Brie Petherick, you are amazing. And I love your brain and how you think. <laughs> this is just, everybody that is a musician, that is a creator, that is listening to this, it's honestly, I swear to you, they are cheering like I am. <laughs> that is such That is such a tremendous part of the creation experience for the creator but it is also just it is this ever evolving and changing living breathing thing that is then shared with others and that is the place where it becomes just this incredible thing that is so far beyond us and where we started as the creator and it's it's like this handing off you know we used to do um progressive creation projects. And I've done this in, you know, several other aspects of philanthropy and things like that, team building type stuff. You know, you start with one thing and the next person builds on it and yeah. they share it with the next person and it evolves and changes and then someone adds to it or um, they they share their perspective on it. And then, oh, then you see something a little different that you didn't see before. You hear something you didn't hear before because this other person has shared and put their interpretation of something on there. And it's this beautiful evolution to watch and
1: experience. I've been involved with, actually, um, uh, I I went to a residency in the Bounce Center, um, which is not too far away from where I live, um, a couple of years ago called The Art of Stillness. And it was a very influential, very influential workshop. But I met a fellow creator, Erica, from Chicago, who she came to me on day one and said, "We've got to, we've got to disrupt this process all the time." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that kind of sounds really cool." And but what was great about Erica is that she would do something like you were just discussing in the team building thing, but she would tr- she would disrupt it, not to be mean, but to open up more possibilities, because very often even at like a you know very uh, mature uh i'm gonna say advanced people experience with an artistic project you can get in direction and just go that way and erica just went would would push push it off into a distance and it was like it was amazing that opening up and i was going to say i i am appreciative of what you've just said i am grateful there you go um but I also—it's th- kind of interesting how when I'm talking to other creators, they miss the autistic aspect. And I think this is this is the this is the advantage we can have of because we see the world differently. We see the world differently, and and and, and it, that's from a from a creative point of view, an artistic point of view that's brilliant that is so brilliant to be able to um always be able to see something from a different angle um and the experience we have to have in society is knowing when to allow that different view to 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 be take precedent and also know when to step back sometimes um, and I think that's one of the, that's one of the challenges I've had, but I've been doing it for 40 years. So I'm getting used to it. I am incredibly creative as you probably can guess, um, that sometimes when I'm working on a, you know, very professional multi-million dollar musical, they don't want to hear my creative ideas all the time, you know, and, and, and although in my head, I'm going, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I have to think, okay, uh, that's okay. And, you know, most of the times I work with larger organizations, people have, I mean, now it's easier because I can just say, look, I'm autistic and these things are going to happen. But people would then, often it would be after rehearsal. Like, you want to say something, tell me what you wanted to say. Like, they're always open to it. But I have to realize in the rehearsal room, you got to shut up, much as I'm fighting on the inside. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that that really is i think um part of the struggle um or the challenge i wouldn't necessarily say struggle but it's part of the challenge of finding that balance and just that awareness as neurodiverse people is that seeing that other people function in these collaborative creative spaces very differently mm-hmm. where you know i've noticed that when i get together and I'm collaborating with other autistic creatives it is just this open flow of ideas and you know sometimes they're just pouring out and everybody's just throwing in and we're we're bouncing off and feeding off of each other and and we're going in all kinds of different directions but it's like it's this group culmination of appreciation and and taking those ideas very openly and not having that ego that comes in so often in neuro neuro complex collaborations where the ego does stop, you know, this is my idea and you can't infringe on it, you know, because that does happen. And I'm sure you've experienced it as well.
1: And look, look, I, I have honestly, my performing ego is the size of this planet. Like I, I have, and, and, i think any person that makes performance a, a, you know, their life there is an ego because i have 99.9999 of the time i have total confidence in what i'm doing when i'm on stage when i'm playing um it, it's always with open ears um but it's also i am performing in front of people i don't want I don't want the adulation from the people, but I want to be playing the piano in front of people. That's you know, whoosh. But I can't understand how people can't control their ego in a in a team situation. Um and I often will say, like, I gonna you know, go the size of the planet, but if you have a better idea, that's you know, I'll I'll go with it. You know. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I really don't care if I'm still playing. I don't care. Right.
0: Ultimately, if I'm doing what I love and I am meeting my needs, we're good. <laughs> Anything outside of that, then, then we got a problem. <laughs> as long as we're meeting these these base fundamental performance issues that I have to have met, we're good. <laughs> I totally get that. I absolutely do, and I love it, Bruce. I want to close and play a piece that you composed called I, Meditation in Isolation. And I'd love for you to just sort of introduce this piece a little bit.
1: So again, I, as I said, sometimes... And I know you don't
0: want to set anything up for people to be influenced, well, but...
1: <laughs> so this is... Okay, thank you, yes. Um, we all are struggling with... COVID restrictions. And one of the most difficult things we had as a we came across as a family was the first time that my daughter um, came in close contact with somebody at school. Now what happens what happens for us here is we just get an email saying there has been a a positive case identified and your daughter in this case was a close contact. And so straight away you have to go do a 14-day isolation or a and 14-day isolation, except we we're always finding five or six days late. So it was only ended up being seven days or eight days. Um and suddenly our family life, which is pretty like we we have adhered to the regulations as much as we possibly can and we're very we're all we don't want to none of us want to break break rules. But suddenly we have to have the rules in the house which my daughter did not leave her room for seven days and it was um, she is neurodiverse she has adhd and generalized anxiety um and she really missed the contact so what i did was each day i took a photo to reflect to, to to show what isolation meant for my daughter Kaylee um and I wrote little pieces just short pieces to to go with the photo with the intention at the end this would be a this would be a, a a piece and it's what's funny about it is that it shows the photos were taken with very little reflection I kind of Every day I was like, okay, I need, I'm going to take a picture of Kaylee's room or something about Kaylee. And it would, if it happened, I would immediately get my iPhone and write, this is it, boom, boom, boom. And then I would go down and play for a minute, I think. So it's, it's a little, it's all these little bits all put together. Um, And normally I'm much more internally, there's a, a emotion or an idea the piece means for me but this was you're seeing little little fragments of thoughts yeah i
0: I love that i love that so as you go into this piece and you're listening to it you do know a little bit of the story on it so that's okay listen to it in one respect then listen to it again and see how it in And it infects and influences and shapes your world where you are today. Because Bruce Petherick writes in such a way that he creates the space for the music to be yours as well as his. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for being the creator spotlight. All of the contact information and the links will be in the show notes below. So that if you would like to get a copy of this gorgeous album, you can. Thank you so much for joining us, Bruce. This has been such a delight. Oh, my goodness. You've been a treat.
1: Thank you, Carol Jane. Thank you.